You're listening to To another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu. And I'm Rira Yu. And you're listening to one of the top 21 podcasts to listen to <laughs> in between reading books, according to O, oh, the Oprah magazine. Wow. <laughs> so, um, for those of you who haven't been following our, our Twitter or social media, I guess we got included in a listicle on Oprah magazine, not by Oprah herself, but someone who works for her. So that's kind of the next best thing. Apparently this list went up on like last Saturday, but like I didn't see it till we got tagged in it by someone who else was on it. So thank you to Zibby, the co-host of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for tagging us on Instagram (laughs) because we would have never known that we made it to this list. I know. We wouldn't have had this chance to just, you know, humble brag about it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I was like wondering why you were um, like you were messaging me. And I also had like a bunch of notifications on my phone. And I was just like, oh, my God, I feel so bad. I'm I'm sick, by the way, right now. So (laughs) so I was sick yesterday and I was like, oh, like, why like who's who's contacting me and, and it's just like oh look on twitter i was like why 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 should i look on twitter <laughs> like what happened did something bad happen and uh thankfully it was good news so it was great because um whoever did the cover image of this article was super lazy and just put our logo on there like 10 different times so like great branding <laughs> for us Yay. um that that orange logo that we slapped on together like Heck yeah. Yeah, we're just like, I don't know. We need a logo. Just toss it together, cobble something together. So for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome to our podcast. But yeah, we're here to talk about our September 2019 book club pick, Everything Here is Beautiful. Everything Here is Beautiful. And this is our 36th pick. Yeah. Making us a full three years old. This is our third birthday for Books and Bulba. Um happy podcast birthday happy yeah happy (laughs) podcast birthday yesterday was international podcast day it's true our official birthday is september 27th so technically we are three years in two three days old four days old four days old but any reflections on our last three years on our last three years (laughs) i one i am amazed that i was able to like be consistent with this podcast because i was like my main concern i was like oh can i like do an episode once a month and then it changed to twice a month and i was like can i do an episode twice a month can i and then we added author interviews and i was like can i read like three or four books a month now i can't do that i read whatever i yeah i I read whatever i want whatever i want because this is something that that that's coming out of passion and not like money. I've, I've managed to convince Rira that she doesn't actually have to read every single book that comes through our our mailbox. It's a lot. <laughs> I haven't even showed you like some of the books that I've gotten from like book mail. Yeah, because it, it's a lot. But um, I'm surprised that we were this consistent. People are surprised when I tell them that we've not taken a hiatus since we started. Yeah. And um, I mean, we skipped a couple mid month episodes. We but... we did, but those are like news episodes. So yeah. like I'm like I, I feel like reading the book and talking about the book is like the the uh, main challenge of this podcast. 
And uh, it's just been so great because we've kind of built a community where people are um, people are complimenting us on on like the diversity of the books that we have picked, not in terms of like uh, Asian American representation, but also just like in terms of genres, in terms of like outside of the Asian American lens, because diaspora exists outside of America. Yeah. So um, it's been it's been like a learning experience for uh, me as well, because <laughs> even though I'm I, I consider myself to be somewhat well read. Um, I've never read this many Asian American books in my life. So uh, it's nice that I have become sort of, sort of, quote unquote, an expert <laughs> on this subject by accident. No, we just, we, we saw a need um, and a gap and we decided to, you know, as the community-minded people that we are, to fill it with knowledge and education. And I think, I mean, personally, I... I'm not that surprised that we were able to keep it consistent, um, mainly because... Because you're a consistent person, <laughs> and I'm not, so uh, this partnership has worked out quite well. But also, this, is always, this has always been something that we wanted to do, which is, which is really great. We were able to do something that we were probably like... For me, I wanted to do a book club. And then you just gave me the opening to start one um, via podcast. Um, and I think, um, I don't know, I, I think it's been great to be able to read all these books and, and discover all these authors during a time when representation in the greater media has been like such a focal point. You know, the, the biggest moment of last year, Asian August, was Crazy Rich Asians, which came from a book. And we existed before that movie existed. <laughs> like, I cannot believe that sometimes. I'm like, oh, man, we we were running a podcast about Asian American books before Crazy Rich Asians, like, the big boom happened. Yeah. And To All the Boys I Loved Before, before that happened. And, and uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not even our favorite book in the whole <laughs> in our whole run. So um, it's been great to see all these stories kind of flourish, um, to meet all these authors that are making it happen. And, you know, um, also really great to see some of the stories that we've read getting adapted into movies, TV. Like, you know, um, Little Fires Everywhere is starring Reese Witherspoon and Carrie, Carrie Washington. Um, the Ghost Bride is coming out next year on Netflix. Pachinko uh, is coming yeah, out on Pachinko. Apple. Like um, all these stories where we can, like, we can literally say we knew about it before it was big, right? I think we also have an advantage of uh, working in the entertainment industry and knowing contacts. But um, yeah, it's been it's been quite an interesting journey, and um, it's. Like, we've read a lot of different books, and I am very, very grateful for everyone who has listened to us since, like, early days when we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> I still don't think we, we have an idea of what we're doing, but um, apparently you guys like listening to us, so thank you. I think we've gotten better. <laughs> yeah, I think we have gotten better. But thank you to everyone who's been following us since the beginning. Thank you to all of you who have joined us, um, who are joining us, um, and... We hope to keep doing this because, as you may have noticed from our mid-month check-ins, these books aren't going to stop coming out. Nope. <laughs> um, but with that said, um, again, happy happy podcast birthday, Rira. Yeah. 
And um, let's let's jump into everything. Here is beautiful by Mira T. Lee. Yeah, I'll start us off as always with a synopsis um off of the uh book jacket description, or in this case, the lead Kindle about the book description. Two Chinese American sisters, Miranda, the older responsible one, always her younger sister's protector, Lucia, the headstrong unpredictable one, whose impulses are huge and often life changing. When Lucia starts hearing voices, it is Miranda who must find a way to reach her sister. Lucia impetuously plows ahead, but the bitter constant is that she is, in fact, mentally ill. Lucia lives life on a grand scale until, inevitably, she crashes to earth. Miranda leaves her own self-contained life in Switzerland to rescue her sister again, but only Lucia can decide whether she wants to be saved. The bonds of sisterly devotion stretch across oceans, but what does it take to break them? Before we begin, I'd like to give out a content warning, as you've probably guessed from the synopsis. Uh, content warning, uh, chronic mental illness, uh, mentions of, um, I'm not sure mentions of suicide attempts are in the book. I can't remember, but uh, just just a warning, tread carefully. Yeah, the book got pretty into these like really heavy topics. From the book jacket description, I thought it would just be a story between the two sisters, but it actually spans much broader than the two main characters, which I guess I was a little surprised at at first. But then um, I think overall, it, it created a more, I guess, holistic view of how mental illness kind of affects everyone. Right? Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like how um, mental illness doesn't affect the person who is suffering from it, but it's kind of like a ripple effect. It affects the family, it affects family friends, and um, everyone copes differently. And there's, it's really hard to make decisions for uh, <laughs> like medical decisions and also like living accommodating situations. Like there, there's a lot of um, yeah. of uncharted territory when it comes to mental illness and, uh, and figuring out what what the best course is. Yeah. She had like a combination of a lot of different psychoses. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? Like it, it wasn't like a very um, like clean diagnosis. I, I think what they said in the book was like schizophrenic disorder, but they mixed in like bipolar as well because mm -hmm. they didn't really know what she had. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be very common. Um, a lot of people, have overlapping symptoms and like the research isn't completely there yet right but it doesn't really matter in the end because like yeah it's like, it's, it's it's affecting them and uh, no matter what name you put on it it doesn't change uh how it's affecting the family and the person who is suffering from it yeah um so i guess right, right off the bat i i really enjoyed reading the story it was really it wasn't like i didn't enjoy it as if like, i was having fun with it but i enjoyed the story that this, this novel told and how it didn't, like, it simultaneously, like, it didn't vilify any specific person, but didn't exactly exonerate them neither. It's just, like, everything is, everything is muddy. It's, like, life is already pretty messy, and then you add this in, and it just makes a different kind of mess. Um, but I was really interested in what you thought about it, because like a lot of me that you watch these days, especially about a certain community, you kind of want to withhold your own comments before you hear something that someone who's experience, more experienced with that community has to say. And I know you have, you've had a history of dealing with like people in your family or people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, um, I suffer from uh, 
clinical depression and anxiety. Um, I have been hospitalized for it, and I have been hospitalized for uh, suicide attempts. And um, amongst like my circle of uh, family and friends, I've had uh, people with bipolar disorder and uh, people with uh, dementia, which is which which is completely different. But um, yeah, like I come from like as someone who has been hospitalized and as someone who has seen other people hospitalized, it is like a very weird uh, experience to have, a weird perspective to have. Um, normally, I would avoid books that tackle mental illness just because it like I don't really do well with that kind of like right. content warning. But the thing is, like I've heard so many great things about this book and um, usually I just have to be like mentally prepared to go to go into like a dark book. <laughs> but like this book was surprisingly not as dark as I thought it would be. Um, but I think it posed a lot of important questions and it definitely did not answer like a lot of them, but it, I think that is the main thing with mental health discussions and mental illness discussions. Um, no one really has the right answers. No one has, um, it's impossible to have like experience with all these different types of illnesses and illnesses, uh, they, range in such wide spectrums. So you can have someone who also has depression, but their depression will be very, very different from the way I cope with my depression. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the same with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Um, but I thought Mary Lee captured like how broken the health care system <laughs> is, like how like um, you can just put be put into the psych ward and doctors are just like, giving out medication without like without figuring out uh which medications you've taken in the past what hasn't worked and a lot of like doctor shielding with social workers that that is like 100 percent <laughs> accurate uh I, it was really scary reading that part uh when um miranda is trying to like get to the doctor but right. the social worker is like no like that's not possible and uh, them kind of like negotiating ways to get Lucy to take pills like that was also like very very speci specific to like my experience so I was like okay that that was done really really well um, and so as someone who is Asian American and as someone who has a mental illness and has dealt with it for like most of her life um, it's interesting because I don't really see that many mentally ill Asian American characters in, in books or even in like other mediums nowadays. Right. I feel like in media, you sometimes see shades of like depression, but it's always couched in like friction with parents and feeling expectations and the anxiety of like school and things like that. Yeah. And that's right. totally valid. And yeah. it is like, you know, it is a common source of, of depression and anxiety, but when it comes to like schizophrenia and yeah. like, bipolar, that's not really something that like, like sure, like stress from home and like family generation trauma will will affect it, but it's really something that is like biological. It is genetic, and um, you don't see a lot of like clinical depictions of mental illness, and maybe it's just because. I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum in all sorts of um, forums in, in the Asian American community, but the language around mental illness is just not there, right? Because it's still seen. And we, we see this in the book, too, when um, Lucia and Manuel move back to um, Ecuador. Like, 
how do you talk about mental illness when everyone kind of sees it like, oh, it's a, it's a curse or it's like a, it's like hand waved away as something not as serious yeah. right? or shameful. Uh, yeah. And this yeah. is the same thing with like Yona, like when uh, Miranda is telling him that Lucy has to go to the hospital, that like they cannot take care of her by themselves. And it is like much, much more serious than just like, like living a healthier lifestyle can fix. But Yona is just like, no doctors, like, like I don't trust them. They can't cure anything. And yeah. And like, that seems to be like correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be like a common trait amongst like Im- immigrant communities. There is like this distrust for like the uh, medical healthcare system in America, and just like how I I kind of feel like it's carried over from their experiences in the old country, right? Because yeah, as yeah, broken as our medical system is, it's even more kind of corrupt and broken. In other countries where there isn't as much regulation, where doctors probably are not as experienced or are using techniques that are a decade or more old, or even just it's just harder to get good medical care. So when you've grown up kind of not trusting medical professionals, period, um, even if the medical system is better, you still have that distrust that like doctors won't do anything for you because they've never done anything for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I mean, something that popped up a lot with with Yona is this idea that doctors are just cracks. They're just they're just in it to take your money, which you know, fair. I think what characters like Yona illustrate, as well as Manny's family from Ecuador, is also like when you don't grow up with like the vocabulary to describe mental illness in general like you don't see it as an illness that you can treat it's like oh they're just you know throwing a tantrum or they're just you know it's it's easier to yeah dismiss it yeah it's easier to just write it off as like a lost cause yeah and um like one of the things i really appreciated about this book was um miranda's perspective uh, because towards the end of the book it becomes very clear that miranda can't separate uh, Lucy's uh, mental illness from like Lucy, her sister, because yeah. the illness has escalated to a point that like Lucy, the Lucy that she used to know, who was like very bright and creative and witty and just like very adventurous, has now become like so unstable. And she's just like, is this the illness or is this my sister or are they now like both the same thing? Yeah. And I think that is something that a lot of caregivers and uh, friends who have like mentally ill um folks in their circle can really relate to um and then you have lucy's side which is like really interesting because lucy uh, at one point says um i don't want to suffer i want to live and to her like like she actually it's kind of like ambiguous as to like if she realizes the extent of how sick she is Right. Towards the end of the book, especially like in the middle, I know that like, like she does not realize like how bad her psychosis is. Well, you see her in different moments of her psychosis, right? You, you, you see her at times with, um, and they use this, the term clarity a lot, like kind of understanding that she needs to manage her, her illness and other times where, where she's not managing it well. 
Yeah, right. it's really hard to take sides in this book. <laughs> I, I'm sure they're they're like you will lean more towards like one sister or the other in terms of like your own experience and your own uh, like moral compass. But um, it was I, I thought it was like a really interesting way to put mental illness and caregiving in, in like this one um, like in this one picture I, I don't know it just kind of because it jumped perspectives right. and like it went from like first person to like to like omniscient point of view to like different characters that like you don't really see that often right so it, it kind of like came together as like a kaleidoscope in a way um and like even even with characters who aren't like with lucy the entire time like minor characters like Susie, whose lives are affected by uh by lucy's illness even though they're like not (laughs) even though they're like not family and and whatnot so you can see like the ripple effects um it gave like a very uh multi-cultured nuanced view yeah from your perspective which side do you land on (laughs) like (laughs) which side do i land miranda's or or lucy's um I have a very controversial opinion. <laughs> um, I, I would say overall, I lean more towards Miranda. Mm. Um, but as someone who is mentally ill, like I, like I can totally understand Lucy's point of view of like, oh, like my illness doesn't define me, and um, like I don't want to just live my life just coping with symptoms i want to like actually live and be able to make my own decisions and have free will even if it means that like my um my illness might you know deteriorate me further right like i can understand that like self-destructive uh desire for freedom um but also like i'm a very practical person <laughs> um i it's it's very strange because like every single um, psychologist and therapist I have seen in my life have told me that I am like one of their most self aware patients. <laughs> like I I seem to understand my own limits much much better than a lot of like other uh, clinically depressed people. So I land more towards uh, Miranda's side where it's like. You need to understand that you cannot do the same things as <laughs> as you used to be able to. You have to understand like how your mental illness is impacting those you love, and and like those lines are going to get blurred. And like I, I like totally understand that because you you come from like a place of good intention. You want to like keep your loved ones safe. You want to keep them like you want to stop this illness from making them. I don't know less of who who they used to be. Right. So, like, and, I I totally understand uh, where both are coming from. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, there. I think I think it was easier for me to lean more towards Miranda's side because Lucy made such reckless decisions. Like, she decided to have a baby, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> like, nah, no, like, I. Like, I am very, very firm on my belief of, like, if you are not, like, you should not have a baby if there are still, like, un, like, if you still haven't, like, figured out who you are yet. Like, because that baggage goes, like, is passed on to the next generation. So I, like, for me, it's like, 
get your shit together before you're <laughs> before yeah. you're a parent. Like I'm on the, I'm very firmly in that camp. And also like like if you are I don't know, mentally ill and disabled, like I feel like you need to be very responsible and very practical with your choice as a parent. Like do you are you financially able? Are you able to manage your illness plus taking care of a child? If you're not, do you have support from family? Do you have support from <clears throat> from your community to take on this parenting role? Obviously, that's coming from a very privileged position <laughs> because a lot of people don't have that time or resources to consider all of those things. But it's just like... <laughs> nah, like you want a baby when you know that this illness has like made you have really bad episodes and also like your partner isn't financially able to take care of a baby and doesn't want a baby. So you go and like find another baby daddy. Like <laughs> there, there were just like a lot of reckless decisions that Lucy made that that I was just like, OK, maybe she needs a little bit <laughs> more of like. I don't know, like, like maybe she needs more supervision. I think definitely the way that the story plays out, I think it makes Miranda's position seem a little antagonistic. Yeah. Right. But I think that's also because us as the reader, ha we have the benefit of like complete information. Like we know that we know that he's not the best husband. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you can't blame him either. He's like, what, like 24 when, like, yeah. she, she gets pregnant? And, you know, he's, you know, he's an undocumented immigrant. It's like an added <laughs> stress over it. And, like, the fact that she knew that he was an undocumented immigrant and decided to, like, go through having this baby anyway. Right. But, like, it's like, it's like, okay, she's, like, mentally ill and she has, like, these serpents telling her that this is the only way that, like, she'll be able to uh protect herself like it's not coming from a rational yeah. place so you can't like cast like the same judgment but right. also at the same time i'm like no like i mean i just remember that one scene where from her perspective she's mad at him for like not digging that outhouse but then he's like are you having it are you doing a thing now or did you take your pills right and yeah then... i fucking lost my shit when that happened i was like <laughs> Like, because he was like using her illness as like an excuse for his, yeah. himself, and it's like that—that that is unexcusable. Yeah. I was not a big fan of Manny, but uh, <laughs> you know, interesting character, good for development, good for storytelling. Yeah. Personally, he's garbage, <laughs> or he was garbage. I think as a as a dad, and I think definitely by the end of the book, he is. Yeah, and and I feel like you don't want to read it as an indictment on like people who like are more rural or provincial because like you see his mom yeah. right like his mom had uh freddie who is, who has down syndrome and everybody in the village is saying like oh like he's cursed he's better off dead but like the mom was just like no this is my baby and you know even though he has uh this condition like that doesn't make him less human yeah so i feel like it's just like a matter of like being tied to someone who is you know, yeah. of a marginalized community. I think, like, the reason, the, the main reason why this book is, like, very messy in terms of, uh, of like, I guess, judgment is because you have a baby in the mix. You have someone yeah. who did not ask to be born. You have someone who, you know, is completely innocent of, of 
their mother's like illness and also like their father's like like cheating and <laughs> and stuff like that. Like you have someone who is like completely innocent and and you have these people who are very very flawed but have good intentions and they're trying to make decisions for this baby. Yeah. So it's like you don't know who's right, but like it whatever decisions each person makes, it's going to affect this baby's life. Right. And like so Miranda's making this really like rash like intervention because she wants to protect not only Lucy but also Essie the baby. Um but she doesn't know like because you've been, you spent this whole chapter with Lucy, you see how living in Ecuador has like kind of broken her down, right? Because she's not allowed to even be that free. Yeah, and of course there's like yeah. patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> which is even like which is exasperated by being in in a, a culture town, yeah. yeah, which values that. And you know, I, I thought it was it was interesting to see how um Manny went from this like timid scared immigrant to like this man's man man's in Ecuador, man who's right? just like it's like oh if you don't wash clothes what like if we d- make a laundromat service what will the woman do all day <laughs> and i was just like you scumbag like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah and so like because we have more complete knowledge over the situation what miranda does ends up seeming a little bit mean and bad right um, I don't know. Like, I've never really seen it as mean. Mm. I've never really seen Miranda's actions as well, unfair, malicious. I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like unfair and also just like, mm, like intense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause, cause, uh, Mira d- did a really good job, like framing both sisters, like stories mm-hmm. and like how they grew up into the person that they are and with uh miranda like she came to the states when you know she was like i don't don't know how old she was but she as a very young child right in a very turbulent household with like their uncle shitty uncle yeah yeah with the shitty uncle and her and like her taking care of her mom uh and also taking care of her baby sister so she has always been a parent her entire life she's always been a caregiver her entire life so it is very hard to let go of that um let go of that role especially when her mother when she passed away you know before she passed away she asked her to take care of her sister because she was worried that like yona would not take care of lucy right very well so well, because this was after she had already gone through her first round of first of, round of episodes yeah. yeah so it so like for me like because that framing was there it was very hard for me to like to like see her actions as malicious right. it was just like it was at best for me. It was like, okay, you need to like back off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as someone who is like the eldest child, as someone who has always kind of been put in that position of like taking care of your siblings and t- also taking care of other people who have um, struggles with mental illness, like it is very, very hard to back off. And it usually takes someone to like be a buffer in between (laughs) well because that's part of her like that's just who she is because she's always seen herself as her sister's take caretaker and it's like it's her job to keep her sister alive and at some point that becomes all consuming right yeah yeah all all consuming and also just like 
it, it's hard because you're giving so much of yourself into someone who is, you know, like because they're not in a rational place, they're never going to fully appreciate the <laughs> efforts that you put into. You don't get credit for this stuff. Yeah. Like, and also like you are sacrificing so that they would be happy or so that they can be safe. But even that is like, you know, like that's kind of up in the air because, you know, like you're not in complete control of their life. This is yeah. this isn't the Sims, you know, <laughs> like people are unpredictable and it, it can get like I very, mean, <laughs> very frustrating. And you have resentment. In some way, she is the immigrant parent of her sister. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and... uh, we kind of see we kind of saw this in Severance, actually, where like you have a parent or like you have you have someone who is trying to like make sure that uh, someone is safe and they yeah. come from a good place, but also like their ways are very intense and but probably not the best. <laughs> but it's also something that she can't help, right? It's something that she, like it's a burden she willingly takes on herself and to others it might seem, like I, I thought it was interesting that like to anyone else seeing how Miranda acts regarding her sister, she might seem like she's not well. You know, because it becomes an obsession for her, right? And that's, you know, the character of her Swedish husband who, you know, is portrayed as, like, an emotionless Nordic man. Uh, I don't know if he's emotionless. <laughs> I thought uh, Stefan or Steven? Stefan, yeah. Stefan. I thought Stefan was, like, uh, at first I was like, oh, he's probably not an important character. Like, he barely, like, shows up and, you know, he is a catalyst for why... Um, Miranda it leaves the states, but I thought he was like he played a very key role because he's the first person to like not know what Lucy was before right. her illness t- took over. Because you see, you have Yona who you know he married her after she had her first episode, but she was still like very much her vibrant, vivacious stu- uh, self. Mm-hmm. But then, like, uh, when Stefan comes into the picture, like, he's just like, oh, she's fine. She's, quote, unquote, high functioning. And, you know, like, she doesn't really need you to take care of her as much as you think you you think you do. And Miranda's like, no, like, this is not who she is. You, <laughs> you don't have any, like, reference for what she was like before. And uh, I thought that was, like, kind of a crucial point in the story because you have, like, you have you kind of have people who define wellness differently. It's like, oh, are they like are they able to hold a conversation? Are they able to remember the date? Okay, yeah, they're they're fine. But like that level of fine is like different for right. everybody. As you can see with the doctors and nurses and <laughs> and them being like, "Oh, we need to discharge her because she's like you know, she, yeah. she's able to make decisions on her own. And it's like, well, how stable <laughs> are those decisions? I mean, if there was a bad guy in this story, it's the um, American healthcare system. God, it's the worst. <laughs> the absolute, absolute worst. And the fact that our healthcare system is designed to treat symptoms, not the actual, like, not the not the underlying causes as much, right? Um like, you know, even the first time she was hospitalized, I was like, oh, she, we've taken her under observation. She's not a danger to herself or others, so she's free to go. When, like, it was probably too early for her to, like, leave, right? Mm, I don't know. Like, it, it's really hard to say because um, with her episodes, it just, like, 
it it was so unpredictable. It would like mm. come in at random times. Um, but also like you can't keep someone locked up forever. Um, our healthcare system is so bad right now, and um, even in places with like really good with really good healthcare systems, mental health me- mental illness is still something that like no one really knows how to treat. Right. Um, Cause like when I first started getting treatment, I was very very wary of going to the hospital as well. I was, I I actually like was very much like Yona. I was like, oh man, doctors are not going to treat anything, <laughs> and ah, uh, um, and I I remembered at one point I had told my um, psychologist, I was like, well, I don't trust, I I don't trust. Um, a mental health care medication like i don't i don't trust the pills and she was like well why not like there's like scientific data and and whatever and i'm just like because it's a guessing game you don't know if it's actually going to treat the symptoms uh you don't know if it's if the side effects are gonna like make it unbearable you don't know if it's gonna make your mental health worse and like for me it was like a lot like it was it was more terrifying because i saw people because i had i had friends who went to the hospital and came back worse and i was just like oh my god medication is terrible and <laughs> like no, it's like no, nothing's going to cure anything ah, but um where was i going with this um i was i was the I, mental health system me- mental health system is is you know it's it's broken yeah. and i don't know if it was ever really like stable (laughs) i feel like i feel like it was always like shoddily built and no one really knows what they're doing but they're trying their best and it's frustrating because when like the doctors who are supposed to know how to treat you like they don't know how to treat you because like each illness is very different it's not like cancer where where they can like give you chemotherapy and it's like okay and then there's also that bureaucratic layer of people just trying to process your case as effectively as possible and like not maybe seeing your case as a personal thing yeah right um i mean what was the most depressing was that the last line of that chapter uh at the at the psych hospital yeah where the orderly was like the odds were against her that she wouldn't be back here again right yeah um i forgot the exact quote but it was something along the lines of like Oh, they told me uh, this was after her first episode. Uh, mm-hmm. She said, "Oh, they told me that there's a twenty percent that I'll be able to hold down a full time job. There'll be, um, there'll be like a f- what, like a forty percent chance that I will uh, that I will attempt suicide. Ten percent chance that I will actually succeed in my attempt." And it's like those are really grim statistics yeah. to live by, but um, sadly they they are something that is part of reality and you have to kind of accept it. Um, yeah. Yeah. What did you think about, because we mentioned Essie earlier, what did you think about Lucy's decision to have a baby? <laughs> because I feel like I've been very vocal about this and uh, I just want to hear your take. I mean, it didn't seem wise. It seemed in character, I guess, because... Lucy was the type of person who, once she sets her mind on something, she'll, like, pursue it. Um, It did seem not the best idea to, you know, 
entrap this young undocumented immigrant into your scheme of getting a baby. But I, I, I mean, I don't even know if it was really a scheme. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was a scheme either. Because again, not coming from a <laughs> rational place, like for her, it's like I need to have a baby, and like Yona's not going to give me one, so I'm going to yeah. like this is the next best thing that I have to do. And you know, like as someone who is rational, I was just like, why are you having a baby with an <laughs> undocumented immigrant? Also, why are you like staying in this terrible building? When you have money, <laughs> I think, and there's a line in, um, I think, probably, I think it's the second part where she um, was surprised that he stayed. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like she, she wasn't expecting him to stay, which might have factored into her decision, if, if at all. And I thought, actually, you know, it was a really interesting thing that the book did where you don't really get, you didn't really get to see her side of things until almost halfway through the book, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because you, you, you start off with a Miranda chapter, and then you go into the Crote 6 chapter, and then you go into a Manny chapter before you even get to Lucia's um, first like chapter. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to see like the first three chapters were just other people's perspectives and thoughts about her before you get to her own thoughts. Yeah, I was really surprised that it went... Like the story went into Ecuador. <laughs> I was just like when she was like, "Oh, we should move back to Ecuador," and I was like, "What?" Like again, I mean, not a rational decision, but I'm just like, "What?" I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it's rational and not right because she was trying to figure out how to solve Manny's immigration problem. Yeah, and the easiest way to solve it is to not have an immigration problem anymore. That would that Manny stories was also pretty interesting because like you have. He is also a caregiver before Lucia is even in the picture. Yeah. He, uh, he is in America because of his younger brother who um, has Down syndrome and has a weak heart. And, you know, his mom's like, you need to go to America and make extra money so we can afford uh, surgery. surgery. Yeah. And in the end, like, uh, Lucy is able to uh, pay for the surgery with her own money. But that was, like, interesting because... Uh, Sometimes I like really forget how like American American healthcare system is like so broken, but we do have like one of the most like we we have like top doctors in America. So it's like even though like the system is really shitty, like if you need like yeah a complicated procedure, there is a higher chance of like surviving it here than almost like anywhere else. <laughs> so it, it so like I was like oh that's right. Our healthcare isn't like that bad to a point where our <laughs> doctors are called quacks. But um... I mean, and Manny's distrust of the doctors from his perspective isn't because he doesn't trust doctors. It's more that he is afraid he'll get found out. Yeah, as an undocumented immigrant, um, I found the breadth of experiences and perspectives really interesting because. You see how different people deal with these issues. I mean, with Manny, it was really it was a really interesting glimpse into um, like what what someone in his situation um, has to do to survive, right? Like yeah. living, like pretending to be cousins with like other migrants, um, taking under the table jobs, like redoing rich people's bathrooms. Yeah, there's a quote um, by. 
Lucy and Miranda's mom, who says immigrants are the strongest because they constantly have to rebuild. And uh, you see it with uh, Lucy. Lucy is never in one place. She's she's constantly like moving cities, states, uh, in and out of hospitals. She moves to a different country. Yeah. Same thing with Miranda. She doesn't stay in one place either. And when she does move to Switzerland, she doesn't really quite belong there either. And she moves back. So there there is this theme of like being displaced and trying to find where home is yeah. and uh, trying to figure out who your family is, people who don't share your blood, but also like care for this one person who has this illness who has impacted your life <laughs> better for worse. But like, like that bond is stronger than just yeah. being related by blood. And it was really sad to kind of see how far the two sisters drifted throughout the story. But isn't that normal with siblings? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, but not to the point where like you're like you don't even communicate with each other anymore, right? I don't know. Maybe I come from a very dysfunctional <laughs> family, uh, but it's it's quite understandable with with like Lucy's condition. Um, what did you think about the ending, by the way? Um, I didn't expect it to end with Lucy's death. Yeah. Um, that was surprising. Um, but I think in terms of what it does to serve the plot, I think it was an interesting wrinkle to throw in because now for all the characters – it becomes it, it moves from what are they going to do about Lucy's illness to like kind of thinking what more could they have done yeah right and it was really interesting to read everyone's perspective um, because that chapter does go back to a third person omniscient narrator like jumping to what everyone is thinking and especially at the same time right where the secrets that they kept from each other from her and also, like, the things that, like, they start playing their heads, their own culpability in, in what happened to her. Yeah. And and at some point, like, uh, Stefan says, like, you can't fight her illness forever for her. And it's like, like, that, is, that was, like, a very, very powerful statement. Because, like, no matter how good your intentions are, of, of course, there's, like, a good way to go about helping somebody. But, um there's only so much you can do. And of course, like once Lucy passes away, it's like, oh, maybe there was more that I can do. And there's like guilt of uh, being a caregiver. Right. And that seems to be like a common thing that happens. Um, Not just in like taking care of people, but like, I guess like uh, when you lose someone you love prematurely to conditions that you really had no control over, it's just like, could I have done something to have prevented it? And the answer is usually no. Like, you did what you could. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they left her they left her cause of death. Like, I mean, you have, like, the, the cause cause, but, like, they left the, the reason she was out there, like, in the storm ambiguous, right? Because it seemed... Because it's like, oh, was, yeah. she, was she having another episode? And was, was that why... Uh, was that why she went into a storm or was she lucid at the time? And, right. You know. This... Did she just get lost and caught up in the storm? Yeah. And honestly, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, it's it's just about like uh, how 
the people who cared for her survive with that guilt and um, move forward with Essie, like raising Essie as well. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought that scene was really really nice with Essie and uh, Miranda. The last chapter, yeah, yeah. In, in Miranda's New York apartment, and um, I liked the decision that that like Miranda moved back to New York by herself mm-hmm. so she could like because Lucy is gone and she's no longer a caregiver like she has this time and the space to carve out who she is without like defining herself as a caregiver or as like somebody's sister um and it was really nice to, I was really happy that like Stefan and her like didn't break up like he allowed her to have that space and then their uh relationship was like yeah like it kind of strengthened from her like finding her own path and then that talk with essie like i was like wondering how essie would grow up it's just like oh well like you're being raised in ecuador and you're like (laughs) mixed race like um you're mixed race i wonder how people viewed her in, in her village right um and like is she fluent in english also she has an american passport like like (laughs) what like what happens um there was a lot of questions at the end about Essie, but um, I was really glad that Miranda mentions that um, the mental illness, bipolar or schizophrenia, we don't know what it is, the diagnosis is unclear, um, that it's genetic. Yeah. And it's like, you have to be careful. And, you know, that's that's the thing that a lot of people miss because uh, people can be like, oh, like mental illness, you can like fight it, you know? <laughs> uh, it, it just takes a lot of like sheer willpower and it's like no it's a lot of the times it's genetic it's biological you there's only so much you can do to like prevent it and also cope with it but yeah. it's part of life and i'm really glad that that was addressed in the book yeah i mean it's it's like any other chronic illness where it's once you have it you have it and you can't let it define your life it just changes the way you live it right you have to just have to be careful about certain things and I don't know. I I I want. I I'm hoping that you know Miranda has learned to also cope with that stress better um, with with her niece um, because I don't know. I had this image in my head where like if Essie did have an episode that she would just go back to her overbearing. Oh, ways, interesting. You know, I feel like I feel like Miranda would be better. Yeah. If if it happened with Essie. Simply because I feel like I've gotten better <laughs> with, uh, with uh, taking care of multiple people. I mean, obviously, I've never been like like a caregiver like Miranda, where I had to like sign papers and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. like, uh, just uh, just dealing with friends who have been like in and out of the hospital. It's just like like before. Um, it, it used to be like okay, like I have to, I have to be like on suicide watch, like all the time and like make sure that uh like I, I i talk to this person and make sure that like i like give everything to them all the time and unfortunately the first time um um i had a friend who like left the hospital they uh they were they passed away like shortly after mm. and uh that really was like a wake up call for me cuz it was just like okay like i did everything that the pamphlets and stuff and counselors have told me as a friend I can do, but clearly, clearly this was not enough. And then uh, the second and third time it has happened with like other friends, it's just like been a matter of 
of just like learning. It's it's been like a learning curve. It's just like you find out like how much you can interfere. Yeah, and like when to like back off, and that really depends on the person. So I I I'm a little bit more optimistic about Miranda because <laughs> it's like w- like w- once you go through it, it's like okay, well. Like you learn from your mistakes. Oh, I, I think I think one thing that because there was more than one comment on on Goodreads, mm. uh, one of the common things that people talked about was the East Coast Asian American experience. <laughs> so in the forums, uh, some of you guys have said like this book was very like East Coast Asian American. What what does that mean? <laughs> I think it's more like it's our second store in a row talking about. Like Chinese Americans in <laughs> New York, um, or New Jersey, yeah, or New Jersey, and I think See, the like, East Village was a big character in this, like, and, and Chinatown, Mott Street, you know, like and, and like gentrification, <laughs> yeah. No, because like, because I wonder because I, I, I'm technically, as an East I, Coast Asian. What do you am think? I an East Coast Asian? Because like I lived there for what, like maybe like six years of my life, and then I lived like six years in in Georgia. So like my my time in America <laughs> is like very divided. Yeah, but the the period of time where you came into your own as an adult, what does was that in mean? New York, right? <laughs> like, like you know, you know, people say like your first home away from home. Is kind of where you where you develop a lot of your personality, like not personality, yeah. but like yeah, like your your it affects how you develop as as like, I, I, an I identity, guess so. right? Yeah, like um, like I my first home away from home was San Diego, so I still consider myself kind of San Diegan in a way from like the time I spent there and like how it it played a role in my development as an, as an adult. You know, same way with like you know I, I did grad school in DCs. I don't only really consider myself as DC. Mm-hmm. I still feel like more Californian than East Coast, you know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I mean, like, like what I'm a little bit confused on is, like, what <laughs> defines East East Coast Asian American, like, culture? Because I, I, like, to me, like, I don't really see that much of a difference mm. with, like, West Coast and East Coast. I don't know. Like, okay, so, so for me, like, when I grew up in the East Coast, like, I grew up in... In New Jersey, there's a lot of Koreans. Like, there are a lot of Koreans. So I grew up in a place where uh, there were a lot of people who looked like me, even though I went to a school where there weren't that many Asian kids. But, like, I was still part of a community where there were a lot of Asian kids. There were still, like, a lot of grocery stores, and there was, like, a huge community there. But then I know that's, like, really different for people who live in, like, the Midwest, for example. Right. So it's it's just, like, but but, like, in coastal cities... I feel like there's a lot of Asian Americans. Like in Los Angeles, there's a lot of Asian Americans. So how is that different from uh, from East Coast? I think it was more... It's, is it like the vibe? Is it like... I think it's more just these are stories about e- Asians in the East Coast. I don't, um... We need to like bring in like other Asian Americans from like different <laughs> parts of the country on this podcast and just like kind of like... I don't know, like, kind of have a discussion about this because I, like, I have no idea. I mean, I, I guess I feel like stories about just East Coasters in general are more like the images it brings up: New York City, maybe Suits, Madison Avenue. You know, like, kind of more career, uh, like, or like East Village, kind of like more like the, your Brooklyn kind of. So either like, like, like super ambitious. Like neurotic energy or bohemian or artists, bohemian yeah. artists. 
Um, whereas West Coast stories tend to be more still bohemian artists, um, <laughs> but also like more like Sunset Strip, like less Sex in the City, more like um, what's a good West Coast like? I don't know. You're from the West analog. Coast. You should know this. <laughs> more laid back, more chill. I don't know. More surfers, I guess. I, I guess we're we're just like throwing out stereotypes. More suburban, I guess. Less urban. Okay. I want to say. Maybe that's it. Maybe. But, like, I mean, for me, the vibe comes from the setting. You yeah, know? yeah, same here. <laughs> like, the setting and, like, the the energy of, of the city and also And, like, Yona just... pretty much owned the bodega, and that's very East Coast New York, you know? Yeah. Like, in if this was a West Coast story, he would have owned, um, not a boba shop, because he's not Asian. I don't know. I mean, we don't even have, like, a lot of falafel places around here, like... I, guess, I know that's uh, like one thing I really miss about the, the <laughs> East Coast. He'd have a deli. He had one of those like oh, deli. delis. Yeah, man, I miss good delis too. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. that was a very long talk. Yeah, let's let's wrap up then. Um, I guess I mean I feel like I've made you talk for most of this episode. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> what can I say? Um, but I also feel like you know I was more interested in what you had to say about the story, but. Overall, I did enjoy reading this book. It w- it did get heavy at times. It did get like it wasn't like a feel good story, but it also wasn't dark. You know, it's it addressed these really heavy topics with lightness that I really appreciated. Yeah, I think what I really appreciated about it was like it wasn't melodramatic. Yeah, like I felt like it was very like like clean cut. It's like okay, no one is right, no one is wrong, but this is their perspective. These are like the shades of of, yeah. of color and. Like, I really prefer that kind of narrative storytelling when it comes to something really difficult as, like, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And I really appreciated this was a story about mental health from the perspective of minorities, people of color, like, marginalized people. Because I feel like a lot of times you get these stories, but from, like, the stories about mental health, especially in, like, the you know, the canon of American media always comes from the perspective of, like, rich white people. Yeah. Right? I also like how this book isn't really, like, definable, because I wouldn't say that this book was strictly, like, a mental illness book, because there's so much, like, like, immigration (laughs) involved, like, immigration involved, plus, like, like, family drama. I I think at its core, it's, like, a family drama. Yeah. 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 Um, So... Thank you, Mira T. Lee, for writing such a great book. Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, 10 boba cups for you, Mira T. Lee. Man, can we not do, like, quantifiable ratings? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up, thumbs down. It was, it was a thumbs up. Thumbs up. I, I, I guess our way of uh, grading is would we recommend it to someone? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I would. I would. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely just makes you think about what you would do in this situation and also how you treat your own family members, um, which, you know, like a book that makes you think about how you live your life is always going to be a recommend for me. Yeah. Yeah. And any book that kind of like pushes you to empathize more with people who have different perspectives than you, then yeah. Yeah. Definitely a plus. All right. So that'll do it for our discussion of Everything Here is Beautiful. What are we reading for October? Uh, for October 2019, we will be reading Naomi Hirahara's debut novel, Summer of Big Bocce. 
Naomi Hirahara is like a pillar in Asian American literature. Yeah. So what I know about this story is it's kind of like it's is it a detective story or it's like、uh, a... it's it's not a detective story because the main character is not a detective,、mm. but it is. Uh, I guess it would it would be kind of. Categorized as like a slow burn slice of life mystery、okay. novel. So there is a death, there is a murder involved, or some kind of like suspicious death involved.、Um, Mas、uh, Masarai is like this old gardener in Pasadena, so、um, right, very local to me. <laughs> And、um, there's going to be like flashbacks to like Hiroshima,、mm. uh, World War Two, so. Um, but Naomi Hirahara has written a lot of books, like, like I would I would guess over like ten novels. Wow. Yeah.、Uh, so there's like the Moss Arai series, and then I know she has like two other like detective series. Nice. So、um, I'm、It's、really excited to read this. It's been a while since we've、those. read a detective story. I feel like. Or a mystery.、Series. That's true. I mean, there was、um, zero zero sum game, but、That's、that was、true. more that was more action.、Though. That's more like a spy. That's、yeah. more like a like a, a Jason Bourne type of thing. I think the last one we read that was detective based was IQ by IQ, Joey Day, yeah, yeah. which was last I want to say last December. So it's been almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So looking forward to reading that. The book's been out for a. Very long, very time. very so, long time.、Um, you won't have any trouble finding it in your local bookstore or library.、Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And with that, I guess I'll do it for our episode of Books and Boba.、Um, if you have any thoughts about our discussion or want to add anything more,、um, even if you're listening to this podcast months after it comes out, please let us know on our Goodreads forum. There will be a、um, a forum thread、um, discussing this book under the monthly picks section. Um, we always love to hear what you have to say, and yeah, with that,、uh, Rira, thank you so much for carrying this conversation. My throat hurts so much. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we'll see y'all later. Right, bye, bye. bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This episode was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yue, and produced and edited by Marvin Yue. This podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios, located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown Los Angeles. You can learn more about Visual Communications and their programs, such as the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, by going to their website at vcmedia.org. Thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that Books and Boba is a proud member of. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcast by checking out the website podcastpotluck.com. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to DC and beyond.、Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics. Representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts, or at theycallsbruce dot com. Peace, peace.